Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. Today is uh, week two of uh, a series we're doing um, where we've been asking questions as a church. Uh, many of you have submitted some great questions, and we're we're answering those questions. I'm going to be honest, as a pastor, this is a little outside of my comfort zone. Uh, my comfort zone is give me a book of the Bible and let's walk through it together. Uh, that's how, that's what I've all, that's why my, my typical preferred preaching message. But you know, as we as we entered into the fall and you know these last two years, a number of new folks have joined with our church, and uh, we're all in kind of different places. I thought let's let's create space in our church culture, not just on Sunday, but just in the culture of our church. Uh, to make sure that people know questions are a good thing. Questions are how we learn. And I think I said this last week, but if you meet somebody that doesn't ask questions, then that probably means they think they have it all figured out. Um, And I'm continually amazed uh, at those that are uh, older in years than me and how they are still pursuing um, growth, spiritual growth, growth of information, growth of knowledge. Some, Some folks in our church where it's like, wow, we don't have it all figured out. And, and I think some of you know, like the older you get, the more you realize what you don't know, <laughs> right? When you're young, you think you know a lot. Uh, and so this is the culture we want to create. Not Again, not just on Sunday morning, but just in our church, a culture of feedback, a culture of, of learning and growing together. So this is our second week in this. Um, and our goal in all of these questions is to tether them back to what we believe in the Scripture and, and to make sure um, that we are seeing the good news of Jesus through the lens of these questions as well. You know, uh, the, the, um, some years ago, I, was, I think I was about 19 years old, and I grew up in the church. Uh, I grew up in, in a Pentecostal church, a very charismatic church. And for those of you that don't know what that means, it uh, means there was, there was a lot of yeses and amens in my church at any point during the service. So I welcome that if you want to ever throw out one. Um, there was a lot of dependence on the Holy Spirit and a lot of anticipation that God might do something any moment. And I, and I love that a lot of what I experienced in my church growing up. And shortly after I graduated high school, um, I decided it was time for me to get out of my house. In fact, get out of my state. And so I went and I joined uh, a, a, a part of a program through an organization called Youth with a Mission. And it was a discipleship training school. And this school had... Uh, Five to six months long of intensive kind of spiritual growth. The first three months was a lot of Bible training, a lot of lectures on particular Christian topics. And then the the second half of it was two to three months um, doing short-term missions work in an overseas context. And so I saved up money for this, and I went, uh, and the location I, I picked to do my training was the, the beautiful state of Hawaii, which, you know, if you're going to go anywhere to, to learn about Jesus, that's not a bad spot. And towards the end of our lecture phase, we were getting ready to go overseas, and we were going to East Asia in particular. And I realized I didn't have the money uh, for the second part of this discipleship training school. I was a couple thousand dollars short of what I was going to need to go overseas. And so I started talking to people and stressing out. I'm like, how am I going to raise this money? I, don't, I can't work in the midst of this program. Uh, I, I've basically exhausted all my savings. And I had person after person that had been engaged with this uh, particular program say, don't worry. God will always provide the money you need. 
And they began to tell me stories of, of ways that God had done that. And I thought, oh, that's great. Perfect. God's going to provide the money. I don't need to worry. Well, there was a deadline uh, for when this money was due. And it was coming closer and closer. And I was about two weeks out, and God still hadn't provided the money. Uh, and so I began to think, like, okay, everybody's convinced me of this. Uh, this somehow this miraculous money is going to appear. I wonder how it's going to happen. And so I would, I would think about it during the day, like maybe, literally, maybe I'm going to walk uh, through the grass uh, field here, just outside part of our campus in Kona, and I'm going to stumble over some money. Like maybe I'll literally just be sitting in the, in the grass. Or maybe somebody is just going to randomly come up to me on the, on the street and they're going to say, did you need some money? Because I got a check here. It's, you know, I, that was the way my mind was oriented. I thought, it's just going to happen. Well, Time was ticking. Now it was 10 days before, and the money still wasn't there, and everybody's getting excited about going overseas. And I thought, uh, did I miss something here? Well, should I at least let people know that I need money? Uh, and so I, I thought, well, I should probably do that. So I, I jump on the internet, and I send an email to my church back home, and to a couple friends, and I said, hey, uh, I'm supposed to go to, to Asia to do this missions work, and I, I'm short, like $2,000, and, uh, you know, if you know of anybody. <laughs> and it was really interesting. It was very humbling to do that, obviously. Um, and one of the first responses I got was my youth group back home. And uh, the youth leader says, hey, Andrew, thanks for letting us know. And we took an offering uh, among the students at our youth group. And we are going to be sending you a check for $600. And I was blown away, especially if you know my youth group. Like, $600. I was, I was like, wow, that is that is phenomenal. And then I heard from a, another uh, family friend that they were going to send me $100. And I was like, wow, okay, God's doing something. And I realized then God convicted me that like God does want to come through, but sometimes we have to put a, like a little bit of feet to our prayers, you know. And so for me, humbling myself and asking, letting the need be known, um, was, a, was a part of how I got to see God work. And it actually allowed other people to be a part of that as well. Well, sure enough, uh, I was still short by uh, a, num a bunch of money, and I was walking into my room just a couple days before this money was due. And no joke, on the floor in the entryway of my dorm room, there was a wad of money this big. $1,500. And on, there was, on the sticky note was my name and a, a, an, another person's name that I knew that needed some money as well. And so not only did God do the like literal stumble across the money on the floor, but he taught me a lesson in, in that process too. And so that was a, a, what I would call like a, a, a miracle in a, in a lot of ways, but a miracle where God used others and he formed me through that to see how he is faithful when I try and obey him. So the question this morning is along this line. This question actually came from an elementary school age student in our church, which is why we're doing it, answering it on a family Sunday. The question this morning is, does Jesus still perform miracles today? Now, whether you believe in God or not, at some point in life, almost everybody has an experience that seems supernatural uh, unexplainable, or you could say miraculous. And when you have an experience like that, 
it can be overwhelming in the moment because it kind of jars your sense of how you think the world is supposed to work. It's outside of the paradigms of what you've experienced or what you think maybe is even possible. So does Jesus still perform miracles? First, I think it's probably important for us to define what a miracle is. So this is just a one, I'd say, secular uh, um, definition that I got uh, from a dictionary. A miracle is an effect or extraordinary event in the physical world that surpasses all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. We would call that God, right? So we know if, if you've read any part of the Bible, you know that the Bible is full of unbelievable miraculous stories. Uh, the, the picture right here is, is a picture of Moses and the sea, the Red Sea parting. And when I was a kid, one of my favorite miraculous stories was the story of Jericho, where the nation of Israel marched around the city, and at the end, the walls of the city, these massively fortified walls, fell down. They've actually found the city of Jericho, and they found, guess what? The walls fell down, but not in a way they typically would from a siege, but from the inside out, essentially causing a ramp. <laughs> so the Bible's full of these stories. We see it in Jesus' life as we walk through the Gospel of Mark. Um, in recent weeks, you saw that. But we also see it in the, the lives of Jesus' disciples. Um, there's, a, there's a moment where Peter is out preaching the Gospel, and, and people are getting uh, healed just being in his presence. And so these stories that we read in the Bible, especially if you grew up in the church, they are deeply formative when we're young. I mean, those are the stories that kids remember, right, when they read the Bible. When you get a kid's Bible, those are the, it's typically oriented not around the teaching, but around the miracles of the Bible. So they're deeply formative when we're young. But then as you Kids get older, they, those miracles kind of start to feel a little more distant. And we read other stories that, uh, outside of the Bible that have similar feeling to them. And then at some point, uh, oftentimes when we're older, uh, we kind of ignore some of the miraculous. We're kind of too familiar with them. Or maybe we even doubt them as we get older. So the question this morning is, does Jesus still perform miracles? Does God still perform miracles? Uh, what I want to do is what we did last week is we want to be a church that interacts with each other as well. So I'm going to ask you to huddle up with a few people and, and share these, the answers to these questions. Have you ever experienced something that you would consider a miracle? If, if you believe in miracles, what purpose do they serve? You can think about that from Scripture as well. And then I think uh, in America, we don't hear about miracles very often. And so why don't we? Why don't we th you think we hear about miracles very much in the life of the church? So we're going to do this, okay? If you came to church uh, and you weren't prepared to interact with people, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to interact with some people right now. So let's take the next few minutes. Just turn, huddle up with a few people. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. And then just, just discuss these questions, and then I'll bring us back in just a moment. Ready? One, two, three, go. All right. Uh, I, I hate to break the conversation. I think we could just go for another half hour. Uh, yeah, it's my fault. So I've, let's just by a show of hands, by, by a show of hands, how many of you have ever experienced something that you would consider a miracle? How many of you? 
A lot, a lot of you. So already, so then there was some sharing going on, right? So that probably answers the third question, maybe. Uh, so let me ask this. Just a few people could shout from where you're sitting. If, if you believe in miracles or you've experienced one, what purpose do you think miracles serve? Get it, closer to God. Closer to God. Get us closer to God. Okay. Anybody else? What purpose? Say that again. A, a witness. Okay. Demonstrates how much he loves us and is involved in our lives. Anybody else? Demonstrate his power. Yeah, somebody else was saying? Miracles carry out the will of God. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely a purpose. We saw that in the. Mm, that's good. We can't do it on our own. It shows us what, that we need him. We, we were singing that just a minute ago, yeah. So what about the last question? Why, why don't you think we hear about miracles very much in the life of the church? Or maybe we do. I mean, we just did, right? Some of you, many of you are just sharing. I just heard one from my son that he, uh, that I didn't remember or know about maybe. I don't know. He said he was on a, climbing a tree that was as tall as this in here, and he fell. And he said one little branch stopped him from falling all the way to the ground. Uh, he, that's his miracle. So, uh. so well, good. I appreciate the discussion. Um, so to answer the question that was asked by uh, one of our elementary uh, age students, um, why does Jesus still do these things? You know, one of the, um, one of the things, first things we need to understand is that the reason Christianity exists is because of the miraculous power of God. He has done miracles. Um, we see this most um, blatantly in the life of Jesus. Jesus is God in human form. And he demonstrated the power of God. His, his, his divinity was de- demonstrated by the way that he lived. And the greatest miracle of all was his resurrection. If it wasn't for the resurrection, Christianity wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. It would not exist as a belief. And so Christianity exists because of miracles. Um, John's gospel, which we walked through several years ago as a church, is, a, is ordered differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's actually ordered around seven signs that point toward the divinity of Jesus. You could say miracles, seven miracles that point towards the divinity of Jesus. Um, and I just throw these up real briefly just for your own reference. The, the first one is water into wine, a miracle. Healing uh, of an official's, that should say son, uh, not on, official's son in Cana. Uh, healing of a paralyzed man, feeding of 5,000, healing of a blind man. Lazarus made alive, and then, as we mentioned just a moment ago, the ultimate miracle, Jesus' resurrection. So John's gospel is ordered around the mirac- these miraculous events in Jesus' life. And after um, his resurrection, Jesus makes two promises. So after this ultimate miracle of overcoming death, he makes two promises. He says, number one, I'm going to leave you, the church, my spirit. The Holy Spirit will be with you. That's promise number one. And promise number two is, I'm coming back. That's promise number two. And so this first promise that the Spirit of God himself would be with his people is fulfilled just 
10 days after Jesus ascends to heaven, in what we would call a miraculous or a supernatural way. Acts 2.1 records this. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. If you ever wonder where the term Pentecostal comes from, it's because of this, right? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages, you could say, as the Spirit enabled them. So Jesus, he made two promises. One, I'm going to leave my spirit with you. Two, I'm going to come back. And this first promise was fulfilled pretty quickly, 10 days later. And what unfolds after this supernatural, miraculous event in the life of the church is that, well, the church actually is born. The church doesn't exist until this moment. So the church, you could say the church without the Holy Spirit is not the church. So what unfolds here is the church is born. And what's amazing is right after this moment, the disciples, not very many of them, pour out of this upper room, and Peter begins to preach to the people that are in the streets. And this is an international city, and all of these people coming from different parts of the Roman Empire, they make one comment. They go, hey, this guy only knows this language. We all have different languages, but how are we understanding him? And so literally, one of the very first miracles, the church is founded on, this, on the miracle of Jesus. The second miracle would be the miracle of preaching that is heard by people from all different tongues, all different nations. And so the church is born. Thousands of people receive the message of Jesus in that first moment. And, and so Acts, the book of Acts, records that this same message that Peter preached to these people would now be preached all over the Roman Empire and outside of the Roman Empire. And so it begins to spread. The gospel is spread. And it's spread with what we would call miraculous events. If you, if you wonder why it's called the book of Acts, some people say the Acts of the Apostles, and some, some old, old Bible translations even say that. Uh, I would say it's the act of the Holy Spirit through the disciples. Miraculous Miraculous power that is displayed. If you haven't read Acts ever or recently, read it again and take note of what is happening in the church. So these things happen by the power of God, but through his people. And this is only possible because they have the Spirit of God. When people, when the people of God are filled by the Spirit of God, they get to experience the power of God. And so one of the questions we might ask is, if I haven't experienced these things, is the Holy Spirit, has the Holy Spirit filled me up? Not that you don't have the Holy Spirit, but are you dependent on the Holy Spirit? Are you asking God's Spirit to be present with you in the everyday stuff of life? So when the people of God are filled by the Spirit of God, they get to experience the power of God. And it's not just a one-time thing either. That's what we see recorded in Acts. So as people of faith, we can get uh, even more specific about what our definition of a miracle is. I would say this is a good definition. Miracles are divinely ordained acts of God that dramatically alert us to the presence of his glory and power and advance his saving purposes in redemptive 
history. I think this answers the question of why does God do miracles and what are their purposes? Dramatically alert us to who he is. Uh, when we experience these, these things in our lives, it's kind of like, like I said, it can be jarring. It can make us question everything we thought we knew. But ultimately, it makes us go, oh, God, you are real. You really are there. Dramatically alert us to his presence. But then the second part is, I think, equally important, especially in our experience-seeking culture. The purpose of them is to advance his saving purposes. That miracles are a part of his big picture plan. So another thing we might ask, and this might be why the question was asked to begin with by one of our young people, is why haven't I experienced the miraculous power of God? For as many of you as raised your hands in our church building this morning, there was a number of you that didn't. And so you might ask this question. Why haven't I experience the miraculous power of God. Now, I don't know all or see all, so we can, I can start with this answer. If this is true of you, that you haven't experienced the miraculous power of God, my answer is I simply don't know why. I don't. I, I don't know what it is, uh, that, what purposes God has for your life, or what it, may, what it is in your life that may be stopping you from experiencing God in a supernatural way. I don't know that. But let me share just three things that I, I think um, have, I've seen to be both true in the Bible and also in people's lives that are trying to follow God. That could be reasons why you haven't experienced the miraculous power of God. The first reason is that you actually have, <laughs> and you just didn't recognize it. I think a lot of people uh, have heard God, seen God work, and they just didn't recognize it. Think about Jesus' life. Think about all the things he did publicly and the, that people saw firsthand, and yet they still didn't believe. Think about Pharaoh seeing all these plagues unfold, and he still didn't submit himself to God. We can be so hard-hearted. I remember talking with a family member of mine who, who doubted even the, the idea of God. And I said, what would it take for you to believe that there is a God? And he said, I, he would have to appear right now in front of me, before me. But I knew that even that maybe wasn't enough. When our hearts are hard, we often miss the way that God is working. And the, the Gospels record a moment where Jesus, or where God actually speaks audibly about the person of Jesus. And the Bible says, some people thought they heard thunder. They didn't actually even hear the words of God. So this morning, it may be true that you haven't, you don't feel like you've experienced God at work. But it could be because you just didn't recognize it. The other reason that I think some people haven't experienced the miraculous power of God is because Jesus doesn't necessarily want to wow you. He wants to woo you. <laughs> you know what that means, right? The idea of being wooed, if, you, if, if, if English is your second language, it's to be, to be brought into a relationship out of, with, with love being what, what draws you in. You woo somebody. You win somebody over because they know your heart. They know that you are for them, that you love them. 
And some of us, we, we might be able to be wowed in, but that's not what will keep us in relationship. Jesus' first concern is that we would know his heart. And again, that's why so many could experience his miracles but still reject him as Lord and Savior. If he wanted right now, God could appear in your life and demonstrate in a powerful way that would leave you no choice but to fall down and to worship him. But that's like a strong arm approach, right? If God would appear in his glory and power, you would have no choice because his power is so overwhelming that you would say, oh my goodness. But we clearly see in the ministry of Jesus that his desire was to draw us in by demonstrating his love for us. That's what the cross is all about. Not by overpowering our senses with dramatic displays of his power. Listen to uh, uh, what is recorded here in John chapter 2. It says, Now while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Jesus knew that some people that were being won over to him by miracles were still not, their hearts were still not connected to him. There was, they were still approaching him in a wrong way. He knew the hearts of humanity. Later on in John chapter 4, Jesus says, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And this is some of my concerns in, in some, uh, what I'd say, hyper-charismatic or hyper-Pentecostal kind of movements within the church. I don't know what just happened. Isaac, can you put me back in there? Um, is that we are seeking an emotion and an experience, and what we're missing is the very heart of Jesus. We're missing his actual gospel. And that's what Jesus wanted to ensure that people heard. And so there were times where he purposely didn't do miraculous things, because he knew that wasn't what the people needed in their hearts. And in some cases, the motivation for miracles was just selfish. Mark chapter 8, we actually studied this just not too long ago. It says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. They wanted a miraculous display. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them got back into the boat and crossed the other side. So again, Jesus doesn't want to just wow us. He wants to woo us. The miracles themselves even demonstrate this. Look again at the seven signs that John records in his gospel. All of these miracles are based on love. Even water into wine. At a, at a, where, where did that happen? at a wedding. You see what I'm talking about? Healing, healing, feeding, healing, resurrection, providing what people need. All of these miracles that Jesus provides are based on love, his love toward us. So Jesus doesn't want to just wow us. He wants to woo us. Another reason you might not yet have experienced the miraculous power of God in your life is you may not be weak enough. You may not be weak enough. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's this old saying that goes, the Lord helps those who, does anybody know this one? Yeah. 
help themselves. Not only is that not in the Bible, but I think, this might offend somebody, but I don't care. If Satan were to author his own sacred scriptures, I think this one would be one of his favorites. Because what does it say? It says, it's on you. If you want God to love you, you better do something. If you want him to have favor on you, you better work hard the American way, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. The Lord will only help those who help themselves. So what do you need God for at that moment? Listen, it takes no faith to come to church on Sunday. It takes no belief in God to give some money or to sing some songs or to nod to what you think is a nice moral message. But when we come to the end of ourselves, when we run out of our strength, when our secret sins bring our tidy world crashing down on our heads, that's when we need a miracle. And that's when we have to decide if this faith that we claim, yes, I'm a Christian, is actually real or not. I've shared this story before, but years ago, I was playing the dual role really well. I was a Christian on Sunday and with my youth group, and the rest of the week, I did what I wanted to do. I had my world in control. God over here, my friends over here, everything was in its place. I was a fake Christian. I was a two-faced Christian. And one day I was out surfing with, some, with one of my friends, and, and we were still learning how riptides work in Northern California. And uh, before I knew it, I was past, I was out further to sea than I wanted to be. I, uh, the waves that I was trying to catch were now in front of me, and I was like, well, that's odd. And so I paddled to get close to the waves that I wanted to catch, and I didn't move. In fact, I moved backwards. And that's when I realized I'm not in control here. This ocean is pretty strong. And a, a tide in an ocean is not like a, a current in a river where you can see very clearly. And I was stuck in a tide being pulled out to sea. I began to paddle as hard as I could to get back into the breakers so I could catch a wave back to shore, and I couldn't. I got sucked further and further out. I remember my friend going to the shore, and I yelled to him, Help! <laughs> and he looked at me like, Bro, what am I going to do? And as I was being pulled out to the sea, my friend later said, I, I was about ready to run and find the Coast Guard. Neither of us had a cell phone. This was kind of pre-cell phone days. And I collapsed on my board. And I prayed what so many uh, people, you know, so many kind of backsliding Christians pray in that moment. God, I know I have not been close to you. <laughs> but if you could just bail me out this one time, I'll change my ways. No sooner did I pray that prayer and collapsed on my board than a wave appeared behind me where a wave should not be appearing. It took me all the way to the shore. I'd love to say that that was it. My life turned around and I recommitted myself to the Lord. But the next day I go, wow, that was pretty cool. God, I'm alive and continued to live how I wanted to live. The miracle didn't do it. It, it took a greater breaking in my life a couple of years later for me to really come back to my faith in the Lord. So the truth is, God may do miraculous things in our lives, whether we ask him to or not. But the real faith that saves us is grounded not in seeking a miraculous experience, but the real faith that saves us is in the work and person of Jesus Christ. When we see amazing things that God did in the Bible, what we see is a powerful God showing compassion on a 
powerless people. And so many of us, when we think we have our lives together, we miss seeing, we miss allowing the miraculous power of God in our lives. And so I would say one of the reasons we hear so many stories about God working somewhere else outside of the United States of America and other countries is because the, the believers in those countries are dependent on God to come through. We need him to provide our finances. We need him to provide rain. We need him to find peace. We can't manufacture those things ourselves or depend on our government. We need God to come through. And so we will ask him to, and we will, in our weakness, trust that he will be our strength. And in America, we don't need to do that very often, do we? And when that filters into the church, we have, often we have a spiritless church. We have a church that thinks they can do things on their own power. Isaiah chapter 40 gives a picture of what it means to be weak and how God meets us in that weakness. Starting in verse 29, it says, He, God, gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is our wonder-working God. This is our miraculous God who meets us in our weakness. And my guess is for many of you that have experienced the miraculous power of God, it was a time of weakness, a time of dependency. Again, whether you asked for it or not, he intervened in a way that you needed him to in that moment. And this shows, again, the heart of God. I'll share just one more personal story. My wife's not here today, but um, she's okay with me sharing this story. When she was five years old, she had Bell's palsy, which is a condition where the muscles in half of her face weren't working. So her whole side of her face was drooping. And so the doctor said, you know, eventually you, you, you'll probably grow out of this. And so it's just kind of a wait and see thing. So she had, a, she had a choice just to kind of wait and see what would happen. Or because she belonged to a wonder-working God, she could go and ask for prayer. And so one Sunday at her church, just up the road in Kirkland, uh, she went forward for prayer and asked some of the, the elders in their church to pray for her. And they prayed with faith. And they asked the miraculous God to do something. And by the time they were done praying, her face was restored back to normal. This is my wife. This is when she was very young. But for her... There was a marker in her life where she said, this faith that I grew up believing, I kind of had no choice, let's be honest. My parents took me to church. Some of you feel like that this morning. It was a moment that I will never forget. I can never deny. I can never pretend it didn't happen. It was, a, it was an Ebenezer moment, a marker in my life where God showed that he is real. Now, she went through her rebellious time, and she had her doubts in the Lord later, but that was a something that she could never avoid in her life. So yes, as a church and as a, as a pastor of a church, I believe that Jesus still does do amazing miracles today. But the most important miracle that he has ever done was for all of us. It happened 2,000 years ago. Way before you were born, God himself took on flesh, and in advance of your birth, he took care of the debts of your sin that you would ring up your entire life. All the sinful thoughts you would think, 
all the corrupt actions you would make. Jesus made a way for you to be forgiven from them all. What a miracle. The miracle that he offers all of us today is a miracle of a changed heart. So if you don't know, now you know. The miraculous power of Jesus' Holy Spirit still works today. And when you receive the gift of his forgiveness, you can know everlasting peace. The Bible says it is a peace that passes understanding. In other words, it's a peace you get even when it doesn't make sense to have peace. It can't be robbed or taken or stolen from you. And that is truly a supernatural peace. And so this morning, I want to end not with um, song like we typically do, but I want to end with prayer. So would you stand this morning? We're going to do something a little bit different. What I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you pray for, for the people on either side of you. We're going to pray all together. First, we're going to pray for the people on our left, and then we're going to pray for the people on our right, and then I'm going to pray for us as a church. So let's together do that right now. First, begin and pray for somebody, even if they're across the aisle or if there's nobody on the left, just pray for somebody that's out there, okay? <laughs> now, put your hands over your own heart this morning. And I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for our church family. I pray for every individual here. Those that stumbled in, those that walked in with a big smile on their face. Those that have had miraculous experiences. Those that have had none. Lord, I pray that you would meet them in a way that they have never been met before. That they would know your love for them. Lord, if they need a miraculous intervention, whether it be for healing or provision or relational fixing, whatever it be, Father, that you might in your great love and compassion demonstrate your power in their lives in a way where they say, only God, only God could have done that. Father, might we be a church that does, doesn't nod our head to the things of the Spirit, but is filled with the Spirit that leaves this place ready to share your good news to all that might hear it, Lord God. And so we thank you. We thank you for this, this time to be reminded that you are still in the business of changing lives, that you are still a miracle worker, and may we have more and more testimonies of how you are working in our lives today. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.